want to uh, share with you from God's Word and uh, pray with me. Father, thank you for the privilege we have to come to hear your Word, to be taught by your Word. I pray that it would uh, penetrate our hearts and all of us would be conformed in some measure more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And as we leave here, we can say that we've heard from God's word, not because of me, but because of the truths that are shared there. In Christ's name, amen. What a great um, week you've been having. I know as I spoke to Pastor Walls, um, maybe it was, I forget, several weeks ago, and he asked me, um, well, it was more than that, to come and preach on this date, and then he focused it a bit more and said that you were going to have a certain emphasis uh, at the university. And he particularly asked me to speak on prayer because I have um, taught on it before. And he heard that I had a message having to do with prayer. And he asked me to do that. And it's a privilege whenever I can speak on the topic itself because it's dear to me. And I want to continue to grow in this as well. And I need prayer right now because the last time I actually taught on it, um, it was in three parts, and so I have um, a part of a part right now in 40 minutes. Um, so, but the Lord is going to be gracious, I'm sure. I went over my notes again and brought out what I think are the absolute essential parts, and I'm sure that I'm going to do some editing as I go along and preach to you. All of us, um, I hope, at least in some measure, uh, our hearts are still going out to people in Sutherland Springs, Texas. I mean, you think 26 people dead as they come on a Sunday to worship their God and in some measure to spend time in prayer, that there's heartache and there's pain. And even as I thought about them, some of these people until recently, I had never seen them before, and as I thought about them, those that are genuine believers being a part of my faith family. And that's the way we should think when believers, those who are in Christ, as we are in Christ, that is, those of you that really know Christ, when they feel pain, we should feel it as well. I mean, that's thoroughly biblical. It's obvious. The Scripture is clear that we're supposed to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And what's sad about the, even what has happened there in Texas are some of the remarks of people after the event itself, and people politicize it, people make it uh, an issue of gun control, people make it an issue of conservatives versus liberals. And then I've heard some foolish people, and I chose that word, not just people, but foolish people, claiming that prayer doesn't matter. Even horrible statements made by some that says, look, here they are praying, and obviously their God didn't help them, and obviously prayer didn't help them. They've lost their lives. What foolish people. But even for a moment, I paused and thought about, thought about those foolish people that would make those remarks, and I had to pray for them because in my mind, I thought they're obviously lost. 
And, and a person like that who now, after the death of some of God's dear children, not only do they face the eternity of separation from God because they have rejected the sweet and precious Lord Jesus Christ, but they will have to give an account for those foolish words as well. Imagine that. You stand before the living God, and now you have to give an account because you have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And on top of that, if it were to unfold this way, why did you speak those foolish words against my children who lost their lives? And what will the person say? Here is the reality that sometimes prayer is all we have. Whenever I pull into the campus of Grace Community Church slash the Master Seminary, I always pray for that campus and I say to myself, Lord, protect us here. Because at any moment that could happen there, it could happen here. And, and what prevents that? Well, we can conclude that what prevents that is God's sovereign plan at times allowing evil and preventing evil. And I think in part it's the prayers of God's people that he chooses to answer and his sovereign unfolding of history. See, we are called to be watchmen in the same sense that the man of God in the book of Ezekiel is called to be a watchman of people and even over their souls, and that a message would go forth to those people. And what does a watchman do? It's just that, isn't it? It's they have an awareness, and that awareness to sensitivities around them, awareness to needs. Uh, recently, I was on a ministry trip. I was in New Zealand, and I was fortunate to take my wife with me. On the way back, there was this long layover. It was an odd sort of tr trip coming back. There was a layover in Beijing, China. It was a 12-hour layover. And I, I could have taken just the direct flight. I thought, why not? Beijing, we have missionaries in Beijing. And we decided that we would stop over in Beijing, and we connected, and we connected with the missionary, and we went to at least a portion of the Great Wall. Fascinating. Um, for years I'd seen it, you know, on whether it be National Geographic or some video or something like that, and we went to the Great Wall, and one thing that stood out to me were the watchtowers. And as, as they were strategically placed around the wall, and obviously a portion of the wall was to prevent those marauders to come into China for literally over the course of thousands of years. Very interesting, as I went to that watchtower and I thought the strategic placement of the watchtowers, and then I did some research learning about the watchtowers later on. At times, they would send up a, a smoke signal, and at times, it was just fire. And once one tower saw the fire, then another would be lit, and another would be lit to say, uh, enemies are coming. And it's obvious, perhaps you may know where I'm going with this, what would happen if you fell asleep on the watchtower? What would happen if the enemies are coming and you forget, now what am I supposed to do at this point? Is this where I put up the smoke or is this where I put up the fire or is this where I run? Watchtower. You are to be watchmen. You are to be people of prayer. And one way that you watch is through prayer. That you lift people before the living God, their own concerns for their souls and their needs. And you lift yourself before the living God, for your own soul and for your needs and for the needs of others as well. And what's interesting, I even saw it just this morning, there was an MSNBC reporter, as they, uh, many people are there still in Sutherland Springs, and he asked one pastor there, and he asked this question, 
Is prayer enough? Is prayer enough? And I saw it and I, and I enjoyed it and I even put it on my Facebook page just for others to see it because for about three minutes after that, pastor gave an excellent answer. And he said, it is ultimately enough. The issue is not guns and control. The issue is one of the heart. And he talked about our faith and how their faith would get them through this difficult time in their lives. He said, it is, in fact, enough. And I propose to you that faith is enough, that prayer is enough. As a matter of fact, at times, that's all we have is prayer. I I was speaking with my students just yesterday, and we were talking about this incident and saying, Don't you realize, even on this campus, here we are on the third floor of the tower building, even if something happened here before security could arrive, many of us might be dead and we would have met our maker. What prevents that from happening? Well, I think in part it's prayer. What do I want to do in these moments ahead? I want to challenge us to be people of prayer. I want to challenge you to be people of prayer. I want to perhaps uh, plant a seed in your heart and that seed might grow in your heart so years later on you would say, yes, I must be a watchman. I must be on that tower. I must intercede for others. I must intercede for myself. And in part, what you see even as I speak to you right now is a result of a seed that was planted in me over 20 years ago when I sat under the ministry of Dr. James Roscup. And it was a prayer. You remember that, that class, the ex- biblical expositions of prayer. And I took that class, I think, and I'm dating myself here just a bit. I took that class in, think, 1990. Now, some of you weren't even a thought at that point in time, right? 1990. You say, what, 1990? I didn't know that year even existed. What did people do in 1990? Yeah, we used Thomas guides to get around. <laughs> He said, look it up, look it up on the internet. I think they have it at the Getty Museum, like a a Thomas guide. And he planted a seed in me, and I began to think about prayer, and I began to study, and here it is some 20-some years later, prayer. And I want to plant a seed in your heart that you would say, yes, indeed, I should be a person of prayer. It's obvious I should see it first as a joy that I can speak to the living God. You should see it as a privilege that you have that you can speak to this God that we just sang of, this God who is great, this rock of ages that we rest in. But you should also see it as an obligation. It is not just uh, something that is your prerogative, I will choose to pray or not. No, you are called to prayer. You are called to be people of prayer. And it doesn't take someone to be a reformer or a Puritan. And sometimes we think, well, those are the people that really prayed. No, it takes individuals like you that will say, I will answer this call. And we're going to do this by looking through, in part, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6 and verses 18 to 20. Let me read the text to you. Ephesians 6, 18 to 20, and it says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So we want to understand Ephesians 6, 
verses 18 to 20 better. And what I'm also going to do is we're going to look briefly at some Old Testament words that will help us understand prayer and how it is very diverse and multifaceted even. And then we're going to, I'm going to give you some reasons why you don't pray. And not just you, but um, others don't pray. Why people in the church don't pray. It is so obvious, and we would indeed agree with what I said earlier, that it is a joy, that it is a privilege, that it is an obligation. But then the question is, why don't I pray as I should? And this is, I am not here to make you feel bad about your prayer life. I'm here to encourage you in it. Even the students that are in my class and that I have talk with them about prayer, and here are men that are absolutely obligated to be trained in the ministry and to go out and to be missionaries and translators and pastors, and if you ask those men about their prayer lives, most, even at the master seminary, would say, oh, it's not what it should be. At times, it's just a struggle. I'm not praying the way that I know that I should, although I understand it theologically, I'm not committed to it the way that I should. I have a term paper that's coming up. I, I have to get ready for Hebrew exegesis and Greek exegesis. There's a historical theology paper that to do, and then all of these things sort of engulf their time, and they don't pray as they should. So it's not as if those that aren't praying or those that don't love God are, are not spiritual, but you have to make a commitment to be on your watchtower. And then I'm going to give you some motivations why you should pray. But consider these words before we go to the text again. The words of Jonathan Edwards, and he said, There is no way that Christians in a private capacity can do so much to promote the work of God and advance the kingdom of Christ as by prayer. It was also John Bunyan who said this, Pray often, for prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge for Satan. And Leonard Ravenhill, he, uh, I love his thoughts. He says, for a, a sin-hungry age, we need a prayer-hungry church. And it's evident to us all, and I know that you would have to agree, that the age in which we live, the society around us, is in fact sin-hungry. And we must be a people who can counter that in our churches, in our lives, to be prayer hungry, to be hungry for communion with God, to intercede for others, to intercede for our own souls. Ephesians chapter 6. The first consideration is this. We must respond to the call to prayer. We must respond to the call to prayer. It's obvious from the text itself. Paul says... With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And then he says at the end, with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. There is a call to prayer. The repeated words make it obvious. He says prayer and petition and pray are praying. And then again, petition. So Paul's repeated use is emphasizing it and it's making it obvious to us that we should be people of prayer. This thought about prayer is also connected to this call for us to stand, which we see in verse 14. If you look at verse 14, Paul says, stand therefore, and what? And how do we stand? We stand by girding ourselves with truth, putting on the breastplate of righteousness, shodding our feet with the gospel itself, taking up the shield of faith. And then he says, put on the helmet of salvation, and then 
take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then he says, now pray. And we might say then, also a part of our spiritual engagement is that we're involved in prayer as well. Paul exemplified this, chapter 1. Notice chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 15. What does Paul say there about prayer? We see his heartbeat come out, beginning in verse 15 of chapter 1. Paul says, thinking about the Ephesians, for this reason, that is, what reason? The reason that now I understand you have come to faith, that God has called you, God has elected you, God is now preparing you for the future, having heard of the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints. Verse 16, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. And he goes on in verse 18 and following to pray that their eyes would be enlightened. They would understand the greatness of their faith. They would understand the depths of what God has called them to. You see it in chapter 3 as well, Paul's commitment to prayer. Look at chapter 3, verse 14. And here he prays as well for the Ephesians. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And he would grant you what? Notice verse 16 according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. And you would comprehend, verse 18, the, the great depth of Christ's love that he has for you. What a great prayer for your friends. What a great prayer for your church and even for yourself that you would pray, God, help me to understand your great love. And we say that, we believe that. The scripture is clear, for God so love, for God is love. For God demonstrates his love towards us while we were sinners and helpless and enemies. But to understand it, that our eyes will be open, we can understand the preciousness of God's love for us. We should pray this way. There's some very interesting words, and I don't have time to go through as many as I'd like in the Old Testament that help us understand prayer. And one word, you'll find it in Exodus chapter 9 and chapter 10 and Job 33. It means to have intense supplication, to be earnest. That's not a word that we use often to be in earnest. So it's the sense that we're serious about something. Uh, there's an intensity to it. And I had uh, the uh, privilege... Uh, of playing uh, high school, um, not high school, but I also played college football as well at the University of Cincinnati. And um, one thing about um, college sports is the intensity that's involved in it. There's a sense in which you had to be in earnest, and what we would do before a game, I still remember it, although it's many years ago, there was always this sense in which you, you prepared for the game to, by putting on, if you will, your game face. There's an, the sense in which you went from things that were perhaps trivial, um, that were a distraction, and now it's time for the game, to be in earnest, to be intense about it. Prayer should be intense. There's another word in the Hebrew that refers to intercession. As a matter of fact, you see the word entreat. Often you'll see it 84 times in the Old Testament. One example would be Abraham when he interceded for Abimelech. Moses interceded for the people. Samuel interceded for the people. We're to be interceders, standing in the gap for others and their needs. There's a very interesting word that you find it in 1 Samuel 12, and this word means to give a specific request. And this word was used not in the sense of a prayer, but it was a request as Israel is asking for a king. 
So that even tells us something about prayer, that in our prayers, we should be specific with God about our needs and about our concerns and even about our emotions that we have. A beautiful word. Look with me at Exodus chapter 32, and I want us to look at this together. And this word, helah, is a beautiful word. It's close to the word entreat, but it, it carries the idea that we come to God apart from human strength. We come to God apart from human strength. In Exodus 32, 11, it says, And Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why doth that anger burn against your people whom thou hast brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? So he entreats God because God is now angry with his people. And what's beautiful about this word, what is interesting, if we had time, I'd love to go there in Second Chronicles 33. Remember Manasseh and the most horrible of kings. And what happens to Manasseh as he's taken away, God humbles him. And then it says this, that Manasseh entreated the Lord his God. And what's beautiful about that phrase is that this word um, in the Hebrew means to, to soften, if you will. It even has the idea of weakness. So you say, wait a minute, weakness and entreating, what is that saying? So when it communicates according to Manasseh, he entreated the Lord his God, what he's saying is that he softened, literally it is this, he softened the face of God. Because God is angry at him. And at times when we're entreating God, it's we're softening the face of God. And we do that even for others. We intercede for them. Will you be that sort of person? You see the prayers of a Nehemiah and a Solomon and Ezra and David and Moses and Hannah. You remember Hannah's prayer? 1 Samuel 1 and 2. You remember Hannah, she is barren, and what does she do? She goes before the Lord, and she pours out her heart before God. And the man of God looked at her and thought, wait a minute, why are you with wine? It is still early. And he thought that she was drunk because there she was, pouring out her heart before the living God, and her lips were moving, and he's wondering, this woman is drunk, and she says, no, my Lord. And she says, for I am pouring out my heart before the Lord. And then that gives us some element of prayer. Here's a, a thought for you. Um, have you ever, when someone's asked you, how are you doing, you just told them that you were okay when you really weren't okay? Has anyone ever done that in the room today? You've done that before. And you know deep inside, something is in your heart. You're troubled. You're bothered. And you don't pour out your heart to them. And I, I, I agree. There, there, there are times when you can't do that with every person that comes along, right? I mean, you can't be in... Um, you can't be in Vaughn's market and someone looks at you and says, hey, how are you doing? Let me pour out my heart before you. Hold on, friend. I don't know you very well. <laughs> Let's hold on for a second here. But there are others that you should be able to pour your heart out before them and say, here are my concerns. And would you, wouldn't you agree that you should be able to do that with your God? Wouldn't you agree you should be able to do that with your Father? Because he knows anyway. I mean, that person that you speak to that could even be close to you, they may not know truly that you're hurting inside, that you're troubled, that you're confused, but your God knows, and we should pour out our hearts before him. Matthew Henry said this, you may as soon find a living man that does not breathe as a living Christian 
that does not pray. It's our breath. Go back to Ephesians with me. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. Second consideration is this from the text. We must persevere in prayer. So not only must we must respond to the call to prayer, it's obvious, but we must persevere in prayer. One of the greatest disciplines I think we would agree is perseverance. That is a, a sustained effort um, faced with the challenges of life to complete a goal or a task. Prayer requires perseverance, and some of you uh, are persevered. How many seniors are in the room today? How many seniors here today? You have persevered, amen? Well, not quite yet. May isn't here. <laughs> but you've persevered to this point, have you not? You've gotten through term papers and at times sickness, perhaps, working, whatever it may be, whatever circumstances were brought your way, and you persevered. You said, I'm going to complete this task. I will walk across that podium. And I did it myself. And as Adam mentioned, I, at, the, at the matches, I did it three times. I'm going to get through this. And at times I was thinking, why am I doing this to myself? No, really, honestly, that's not just, you know, uh, preaching rhetoric there. There were, there were times I said to my wife, why am I doing this? But it was in front of me. I persevered. That sustained effort. There's a difficulty that's there. You see it throughout history. Remember, in Ephesians 6, this is in the context of warfare. Paul is clearly saying that you're engaged in a spiritual battle. Guard yourselves. Prepare yourselves with the spiritual armor, and you must also pray. This was also true. Perseverance is also true, most definitely, of the Marines of Iwo Jima. Listen to the words of Captain David Severance. He said, easy company went into the battle with me. Only me, he says, walked off Iwo. That is, he's seven officers, I'm sorry, seven officers went in the battle with me. So eight of them went into the battle. Seven officers went in with him. And he says, only one walked off Iwo. Only one. As a matter of fact, at Iwo Jima, one of the uh, most fierce battles of World War II, their company started with 310 men as they went into that battle. And when they boarded that ship to leave, how many men got on that ship? 50 men. They suffered 75% casualties. They persevered. But we also know that company to be the flag-raising company. It, it sort of is ingrained in the images of American history as you see those men raising that flag, but we don't know the backstory. Captain Severance says, I had seven of my comrades with me. I'm the only officer that came out alive. 310 men were there. 50 of us boarded that ship to leave again. Perseverance is necessary in everything in life that's worth achieving. And it must be in prayer. Paul says, clearly, there must be perseverance. He says, in the second part of the verse, be on the alert with all perseverance. Sustained effort is necessary. Because if not, we may tend to give way. Paul is clear that we have to persevere. But the question is, why do we not persevere at times? 
Um, I think some of us know that sometimes, and have you ever experienced this in prayer, your mind can wander. Ever had a wandering mind? You're going with the best intentions, but yet, all of a sudden, you're thinking about other things, and you have to persevere. There can be distractions that come your way, but you must persevere. There may be a stage in life where spiritually, perhaps you're not as vibrant as you were before, but you must persevere. It's amazing how certain things we can do, and our mind can be incredibly focused on it. But when it comes to prayer, we have to realize that there is a spiritual battle that is happening. Happening, Our flesh, the enemy, does not want us to be engaged in this. Think for a moment in the context of warfare. Wouldn't you, if you were fighting someone, what is the first thing you want to do? It's to cut off communication. You find that in any war strategy, one of the first things you do is cut off communication. If you can't communicate, then you can't um, collaborate, if you will. And so the same thing happens in prayer. Someone turn on the television, and everything is fine. You focus, go to the movie, and everything is fine. Focus, can give a detail about it, write a blog about what you saw, get on your knees and pray, and the hosts of hell begin to quake. Why is that? Because the flesh and the enemy does not want you to be engaged in communication with your God. Go back to Ephesians chapter 6. The third consideration from the text is this. We must be or must have the proper purpose in prayer. The proper purpose in prayer. Notice in this context, Paul wants them to pray for him that he would speak boldly God's truth. In verse 19, pray on my behalf that utterance would be given to me, the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. And as he finishes verse 20, that I would speak boldly as I ought to speak. Question for you, have you ever, uh, and I shouldn't even say have you ever, how often have you, perhaps is a better statement, there is an opportunity for you to witness to someone and you shrink away from it. Perhaps it just seems like providentially God has brought someone to your life and you shrink away from that opportunity. Perhaps you don't speak as boldly as you ought to speak. Paul, here it is, this great man of faith, this man who would speak against the sages of Mars Hill, the one who would speak in the temple the one who spoke despite hardship, the one who disregarded his own personal safety, he is saying, please pray for me that I would speak boldly as I ought to speak. And the question is, how much more do we need prayer? That God will embolden us that we can speak the gospel for him. Now, I've condensed that for you to lead us to this point. Then why don't we pray? And why is it that I can speak to men who are in ministry for many, many years and they say, yes, my prayer life suffers? How is it that I can speak to deacons and to elders and to pastors and to leaders and they would say, yes, my prayer life suffers? How is it perhaps some of you, you would say to yourself, when it comes to my spiritual journey, if I would learn the discipline of prayer more, why is that? This is what I'm going to do to conclude our message. I'm going to give you some reasons why you don't persevere in prayer, and then I'm going to give you some motivations for you to pray. Reason number one, that perhaps we don't pray as we should, we are not on our watchtower the way we should be, is number one, we have an inadequate view of God. An inadequate view of God. Uh, there's a sense in which 
if we understood God more and if we had a greater view of God, then we would see the privilege and the joy of being in communion with that God. I still remember, um, you know, one of my youngest son, uh, when I was, he was just, you know, so high, if you will, whenever I would leave, that there would be a sense in which he wanted to be around dad. And even um, my two sons that are here now, and now both don't look like they were ever my sons because they're both taller than me, right? Um, that there was a time which wanted to be around dad, and they, they think dad is bigger than life. They think dad can do anything and everything. And I still remember a conversation they had with a friend when they were pretty young. And you know how sometimes kids are bragging on their parents, you know, you know my dad can do this, well, my dad can do that. And my dad can do this, and my dad's better at that. Well, then later on they learned that I'm not as great as they thought I was because I'm a human being. But there was that sense in which you think that person is bigger than life. Our God is, in fact, bigger than life. He's a great God. And this God that we sing about and we praise, if we had an adequate view of him, we might say, what a privilege to spend time with him. Here's another reason that we don't pray as we should. Is we're ignorant of prayer because perhaps it's innocently, but nonetheless, we're not aware of God's call for us to pray. We need to educate ourselves on prayer, listen to messages about prayer, read books on prayer, consider the lives of others who pray. Here's another reason we don't pray as we should. We have misplaced affections. And what do I mean by that? That we uh, have a desire for ministry and to do things that are Christian and to do things that are good, but we don't have an affectionate desire for God himself. Make sure you're oriented properly. Here's another reason we don't pray as we should. We lose heart because prayers are delayed or denied but we must be like that persistent widow in Luke 18 and continue to, to ask and continue to ask and continue to seek for my God and not be discouraged. We are soldiers of Christ. It is clear, 2 Timothy 4 and 2, no soldier in active duty entangles themselves in the affairs of everyday life. We are called to be people who are engaged in spiritual warfare. But we cannot be AWOL, and AWOL means to be absent without leave. As I talked about earlier, to be on that watchtower, we must be there watching for others and watching for our own soul. But let me give you some countermeasures, if you will. How do we counter maybe some of the habits that we have? So let's end on this positive note. Let me give you some ways in which you can spur on your prayer life. And I didn't even realize it that I had written something for the seminary and they would, they posted it yesterday through the seminary about, um, and it's really what you're going to hear now is what was posted there, plus one other important element. Number one is this, countermeasure is this, spend time meditating on the greatness of God. I mean, think about God, meditate on God, study God in his person, and allow that to affect your affections. Number two, increase your knowledge of prayer. Um, Read about it. Think about it. Ask others about it. Number three is this. Follow the Daniel principle. And what do I mean by this? Sometimes people say, well, how do I sustain my prayer life? Follow the Daniel principle. 
maybe at times just divide your prayer into three sessions throughout the day to say, Lord, I'm going to spend this time now, and I'm going to make sure that I can break away later in the day to spend time with you. Number four is this, find a place of solace, a place that you can go away, like Jesus Christ went away and he went into the mountains. That place that's quiet for you. And sometimes for me, it's right in my backyard. I go in my backyard and I pray, or it's a, upstairs in our rec room and I'm looking out the window into the, the valley beneath us, the, a place where it's quiet for you. Here's number five, you can do this. Fight the wandering mind. And all of us at times when we're praying, our mind can wander. Fight the wandering mind with lists and pictures and notes. That is, have the pictures of people in front of you and pray for those people. Have a list that is written out in front of you and pray through that. Gain a prayer partner, someone that can join with you in prayer and say, let's, let's commit to prayer. Develop the habit, number seven, of praying through Scripture. Get Donna Whitney's book, Pray in the Bible, and learn how to use Scriptures and just pray through the Psalms and pray through other elements other aspects of scripture. Number eight, do this. Use technology to log your requests. And let me stop for a moment. Um, like I, I joked before about having a Thomas guide, and that really was the way you got around, was a Thomas guide flipping through grids and determining where you want to go. And I used to actually keep my prayer requests um, in, a, in a log, um, like a moleskin, if you will. But I decided recently what I would do is... Um, use something, it's a, just an app that I use to put it in there. And I also use Microsoft OneNote. I'm just re being really practical here. Because I thought to myself, if I ever lose that journal, all those requests are gone. So whether it be on my phone, whether it be on my iPad, whether it be on my computer, it's readily available for me. That's one way to fight intelligently in this spiritual battle. Number nine is this. Start with a reasonable amount of time in prayer there are other quotes that I have about Martin Luther saying that he was a man that would commit three hours to prayer. Others that would say four hours to prayer each day. Even a wonderful quote about Luther and saying as one of his comrades saw him praying and said he would often uh, give three hours to, to prayer a day. The time that you would think he would use for study. And we say to ourselves, I can never do that. You don't have to do that. But you do have to respond to the call. Start with a small amount of time, and as, and as God develops you and, and you grow and your conscience guides you, whatever direction God takes you in that, will, God will do it. Number 10 is this, develop a tender heart by praying through tragic news. I mean, things around us, let me briefly, what I, even this morning, I prayed through this morning about what happened in Sutherland. The victims ranging from 18 months to 77 were left to die inside First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs. Annabelle Pomeroy, the daughter of the pastor, 14 years old, died for her faith. I see a picture of her here. They had adopted Annabelle when she was young and raised her in her faith. There's Robert and Shanna Corrigan. The Corrigans were a military family. Robert had retired from the Air Force. Renee Haley, the Director of Veterans Services in Clare County. Their two sons were in active military duty. The Holocom family. Joe Holocom lost children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren 
and all eight members of his extended family were killed, as well as an unborn child. He said to the news, we're having a hard time. Holocaust said his son, 60-year-old Brian, an associate pastor, was walking up to lead the church in prayer to pray when the shots rang out. Brian and his wife, Carla, were killed. And then there's Danny, and there's Dennis and Sarah. There's the person that was the first-time visitor to the church. This Haley Kruger, 16, who loved babies and dreamed of becoming a nurse. This Scott and Karen Marshall. The Ward family. Their five-year-old stepson, Ryler, was shot five times. He was flown to a hospital in San Antonio and is now in critical but stable condition. And we'd say we don't have things to pray about. Um, you would not pray for Ryler, who was shot five times and is in critical but stable condition. You would not pray for the Holcomb family, lost eight members of his extended family. When needs like that are right in front of you, and you wonder, so what do I pray about? I have one more point to make, and forgive me for two more minutes of time, perhaps. I need to make a final call to you. Yes, develop a tender heart. But here's number 11. Look to the example and challenge of your precious Lord and Savior. Look with me to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. 36, <coughs> and I read it. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour. Keep praying and watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? 
Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. So will you watch? Will you watch? Will you watch? Sometimes it's amazing, and I suppose we just call it naive. How at times we say, had I been there, I would have done such and such. We go to sometimes narratives of Scripture and say, had I been there, I would not have denied. Had I been there, but you're here. And will you watch? The need is the same. Will you keep watching on your tower for your own soul and for the souls of others? Father, thank you for your word you give us. Pray that you would take it and use it for your glory.